just reflecting on the significance of the, the truth presented in that worship set. Worship team, thank you. Thank you for leading us into that and inviting us to consider the significance of our great God together. This week is Mental Health Awareness Week. And so I've been asked to kind of come and kind of talk about that and maybe put uh, maybe a fresh lens on that a little bit. But one of the words that comes up so often when we start talking about mental health is really this word. It's resilience. What does it mean to be resilient in the midst of a world that, quite frankly, we were never created to live in? To experience stressors and trauma and challenges that we were never designed to have to endure. What does it look like to have resilience in the face of that? And so I'm going to ask you to pull out the ball that I had you grab as you came in today because I'm a huge fan of slow-mo camera work. Uh, I, I find it fascinating all over the internet to see all of those different images. One of them is, is quite, quite fondly, is where the ball hits somebody's face and you get to see all of the, the, the manglement that happens when that happens. But this is one that I thought really helped to showcase what resilience is. This is a bouncy ball. Watch what happens to this bouncy ball as it hits the ground. Let me show it to you again. What do you see when the bouncy ball hits the ground? There is something about what happens with this bouncy ball when it hits the ground that is absolutely fascinating to me. Because as it hits the ground, it gets compressed. It gets disformed. There's lots of things that happens to this ball as it hits the ground. And all we notice is that it bounces back up again. I think maybe the best way to showcase resilience is that. Because resilience is allowing for the realities of life to hit us and to recognize the impact that they have on us. Not deny it, not ignore it, but to recognize the impact and yet be able to keep moving, but only after we deal with the impact of what just happened. That's the reality of resilience. In fact, I would describe resilience this way. It's the ability to recover from, work through, cope with, move forward, and ultimately thrive in the face of adversity. The ability to work through something, to recover from something, to cope with it, to move forward, and then ultimately thrive, not afterwards, but sometimes in the midst of it. We are in the middle of a mental health epidemic, and I would dare say pandemic, because I think as you look at a number of the countries and seeing the stats that are there in other countries, I think it's probably a pandemic, but for our purposes, let's just say it's more localized. It's an epidemic, and so here's just some of the, the numbers that are coming at us. College students today in America are the loneliest, most isolated group in America. 65% of college students, college-age students say that they do not feel heard or understood or properly seen by those in their sphere. 60% would say that they're experiencing overwhelming anxiety, and 40% would say that they are experiencing depression so severe that they're having difficulty functioning. Suicidal thoughts, severe depression, and rates of self-injury have more than doubled in the last 10 years. And about 25% of college students would say that their anxiety or their depression or some mixture of both is significantly hampering their ability to perform in the classroom. If you're struggling with anxiety or depression, you are in good company because it is an epidemic nationally 
and I would dare say probably a pandemic globally. But let me give you, as we get started, let me give you what I think is a healthy worldview on emotions in general, right? So here's, here's what I think is the best way to understand emotions according to what scripture gives us. We have emotions because God, we are created in God's image. Commentators have suggested that Jesus in the gospel showcases approximately 39 distinctly different emotions. Everything from rage to joy to grief to sorrow to every possible emotion that we can imagine. We see Jesus for, in so many different ways showcase, it's been estimated, about 39 of them. God created our emotions as messengers intended to inform and influence, not as messages meant to define our reality or determine our future. Some of you grew up in environments where you were told just to ignore your emotions. Your emotions don't matter. Just make better choices. Who cares about your emotions? Your emotions, God designed them to be messengers to tell you something is going on and you need to pay attention. The problem is we've also been told we need to allow those emotions to then define us or maybe determine our future for us. While feeling better has value, learning how to get better at feeling is far more important. If we could just learn how to allow emotions to hit us and actually feel those emotions and not ignore them or suppress them or move on too quickly, we actually would be better off than even if we just started to feel better because that's not transferable. Feeling better, doing better at feeling is actually transferable. We cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature or unhealthy. You cannot have somebody who just espouses all of these, these wonderful Christian colloquialisms and at the same time be somebody who is completely falling apart emotionally. And oftentimes they use all of that strong, devout language to hide the insecurities and the fears and the garbage that they're dealing with because they don't want to have to deal with that. So they're going to speak all of this high and mighty religiosity stuff instead. Our emotions have the power to enslave us. The gospel offers the power to set us free from their mastery over us. And then it requires more than scripture and prayer to deal with the intense emotions that we experience in this world. It is bigger than that. There are profession, there's professional help, there's support, there's a variety of things that are necessary to deal with the mental health epidemic that we're experiencing. But I would say this, it's also not less than scripture and prayer. That if you don't understand how to engage the truth that God has revealed about himself and about us and about our world and come to him out of a declaration of dependence on him, there is no way to become an emotionally healthy person in a sustainable long-term way. The number one emotion that is swirling when it comes to this mental health epidemic is anxiety. And it's experienced in lots of different ways. But here's, here's what I think is so fascinating. Some of us will look at it and say, of course, we all experience anxiety. And that's true. Some of us look at it and say, I don't deal with anxiety. Well, can I suggest this? Anxiety masquerades. Anxiety masquerades, it masquerades as, as an overreactivity to things. For guys in particular, not always just guys, but guys in particular, anxiety masquerades as anger. Masquerades as anger. Or maybe it's an addiction, or it's just an outburst, or a spiritual apathy or malaise, or a physical pain, or restlessness, fatigue, disrupted sleep, just irritability. Not always, but oftentimes, those things may indicate that we're struggling with some anxiety. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about what I like to call the resiliency bounce. The resiliency bounce. How do we become somebody who can be like 
what this rubber ball is, where we absorb the hits. And the truth is, we get sometimes mangled in the process, but that we have the ability to keep moving forward, having to go back and deal with some of the impact of that, but not be destroyed under the weight of the struggles and the realities of life. How do we develop a mindset of a resiliency balance? The first thing I think we've got to do, I'm just going to give you four keys to this that I think can help us think through this together. And again, it's not, it's, it's not limited to, or I'm not going to be able to speak holistically on all of this, but I want to give you four keys that I would say are maybe foundational to this conversation. Here's the first one to the resiliency balance. Authentic relationships are fuel that give courage, are the antidote to soul-crushing isolation, and offer us an otherwise inaccessible perspective. Authentic relationships are crucial to us being able to be resilient in the face of incredible challenges. But here's, here's what happens so often in our world. We do one of two things. Either we think to ourselves, I don't want to be a burden on somebody else, so I don't want to share with them what I'm struggling with, Or we also assume, I have no value to add to anybody who's struggling themselves. And here's what we know. We know that a high percentage of people that seek professional help ultimately don't even need professional help. They just need a close friend, an authentic friend that is able to journey with them in the midst of the highs and lows of life. There's a lot of research out here on this, but one of my favorite research projects is what they do with monkeys. They've done this research project a number of times. They've taken monkeys and they throw them into a cage and then they throw lights and flashing lights and sounds and they scare the snot out of the monkeys. I know that that's not always funny, but here's what I think is crucial to this. They scare the snot out of the monkey and then they test the blood flow for the stressors in their their blood in the midst of their panicked state. And then they throw another monkey in with them and they keep the lights flashing and they keep the the sound swirling and they keep all of the same stimuli going and then they check the blood levels, the stressor levels in that same monkey and it always goes down by about 50% having no other change other than they just put another monkey in it with them. See, there's something about authentic relationships and people that are in the grind with me, struggling through stuff with me, that are saying, hey, I am for you, I am with you, no matter what that looks like, that radically changes how we experience life and our ability to be resilient in the midst of it. One of my favorite moments in scripture is what we see when David is on the run from Saul and he's, he's, he's grappling with the realities of waiting and anticipating when he's finally gonna be appointed king. And while he's on the run, he's hiding out. And we're told this in 1 Samuel 23. Jonathan came to him and says, while David was at Horash in the desert of Ziphah, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horash and helped him find strength in God. Helped him find what David did not have access to in the moment. Helped him have a perspective that he would not have been able to ascertain. He needed Support, he needed friendship, he needed authentic care from a trusted friend. One of the images that we know of is the Mark 2 passage, right? So, Mark 2 is where Jesus is teaching in a house, and these four friends want to bring their invalid friend to Jesus, and they can't get into the house. And so, we're told they climb up on the top of the roof and they tear apart the roof and they drop their friend in front of Jesus. Some of you need to have friends that are willing to bring you to Jesus in the midst of the struggles you're experiencing. And some of you need to be the one to bring them to Jesus. 
Because the reality is that we can't do this. We cannot be resilient in isolation. It is impossible to get the perspective and to deal with the emotional impact of life without authentic friendships. I love what John Townsend says. He says it this way. The idea is simple. We need to need each other. People are the fuel for us to grow, be healthy, and prosper. God created a system in which we are to need not only him, but also one another. One of my favorite things about your generation is that you're finally beginning to capture what my generation and those before me often didn't, and that is the value of authentic community. The value of interdependent relationships. And I'm so grateful for what you are showing us and modeling for us when it comes to this. And I would encourage you and I would challenge you that you add value when you step into relationships and you need people to help you navigate the everyday realities of life. The second one I think comes out of a, to me as a story, the other piece of maybe the other element of the resiliency balance comes out of one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. You've got Elisha, who's obviously replaced Elijah. And, and so Elisha is, is, is kind of the prophet during a time where the king of Syria is chasing down the king of Israel. And Joshua, excuse me, Elisha is helping the king avoid the attack that's coming to him from the king of Syria. And the king of Syria finds out that it's Elisha that's doing this. And so he sends his military to go surround the valley that Elisha and his servant have kind of hidden out in. And I love this passage because in 2 Kings chapter 6, we read this. When the servant of the man of God, so Elisha's servant, got up and went out early in the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, Elisha the, Elijah the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with him, with them. I can imagine the servant going, what are you talking about? Because all I see is a military surrounding us. And this is what Elisha says in return. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around them. That God was indeed protecting them from this military that sought to destroy them. He had to pray and ask God to open this man's eyes to see what had been there all along. We're told this in Psalm 34, that the angel of the Lord, he camps around those who fear him and he delivers them, that God is our protector and walking with us in the midst of oftentimes the valley of the shadow of death. This is what I think when we read Paul's words, for we live by faith, not by sight. I'm grateful that we live by faith, not by sight, because if you think anybody ever gone into surgery before, I've done a couple of surgeries in my lifetime, and when you're going to surgery, you're on this gurney, and they take you through this hallway. You got a couple of people with masks, and they're trying to be reassuring, but they take you into this, this sterile room that's, that's, that's brightly lit with all kinds of monitors around, and next to the table, next to me on the table is a couple of scalpels and some other really intimidating stuff that I have no idea what it is, but that looks terrifying. And they're about to put gas into my system to put me asleep. If I'm walking by sight, not by faith, I'm getting up and leaving the room. But I'm choosing to walk by faith in that moment because I trust that these people have my best interests at heart, even though they're about to take that scalpel to me. See, we know what it means in certain arenas to walk by faith, not by sight. Unfortunately, too often in the midst of the chaos of life, we lose 
perspective on that. See, the resiliency balance takes authentic relationships, but it also takes this. What I can see is not all there is to see. I have to have confidence and belief in a God that is at work and that what I can see is not all there is to see. There is a purpose in the struggle, even though I may not be able to see it. God doesn't waste the pain that I'm experiencing, even though it feels so chaotic right now. Our emotional world is not dependent on the circumstances changing ultimately. It's based on the reality that do I trust that there is a God that is in this that won't waste it and will bring me through it. We have to have confidence in that if we're going to be able to endure the overwhelming, crushing realities of life. Authentic relationships fuel and give us courage. What I can see is not all there is to see. The third one comes out of one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, again, where it's Joshua is leading the nation of Israel, and they're about to cross the Jordan River, and Joshua goes to God and says, how do you want us to do this? And God gives Joshua a plan that's very different than the plan he gave Moses. The plan he gave Moses was put up your rod, the water will split, and you all can walk across dry land. Joshua has to come back to the priest and go, I get a different plan from God. We want you to walk out into the rushing river, and we want you to carry this 1,500-pound Ark of the Covenant out there with you, and we want you to stand in that rushing river, and then eventually God's going to stop the flow. And when you read the passage in Joshua 3, what you see is that he did stop the flow of water, but it stopped a mile upstream, which means for about a half an hour, the water continued to flow even after God had started to work a miracle. And those men had to stand there with that water rushing towards them, waiting for the miracle to happen that Joshua had promised would happen See, here's the deal. There is times where God is at work in the midst of our reality and we can't see it yet. And waiting and anticipating and hoping and praying and God is working, but sometimes we don't get to see it until things begin to finally play out. Paul talks about it this way. He says this, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. That there is a place to get to hope, but it takes work to get to hope. That we've got to be willing to absorb the sufferings and the brokenness in this world that produces a perseverance in us that allows us to shape our character in a certain way and that ultimately allow it to produce the hope in us that God desires for us to walk and see, the, the third element is that hope is a confident anticipation of the future sourced in the confidence, compassion, and character of God. Hope is the belief that what is happening today is not all that's going to happen and that God is at work in the midst of this. And I can anticipate a different future because of who God is and what he's doing in the midst of it. And the reality is, while I am struggling for control and certainty and connection in my life, and I'm feeling the anxiety that comes from feeling like things are out of control or there's a significant disconnection or I just want some sort of certainty, how do I get to hope? I trust that God's not wasting it. I trust that he's with us and for us in the midst of that. And we absorb the suffering. We don't ignore it. We don't deny it. Some of us have to wrestle with and deal with the impact of reality. Some of you are walking in a season of deep pain and torment right now. And some of that's because of stuff that's happened to you or happening around you. Some of that's because of what you're experiencing internally. And for that, I am so deeply sorry. I encourage you with the belief and the confidence that hope is available, and sometimes we gotta borrow it from other people. 
Sometimes hope is not something I can grab for myself. Sometimes I gotta have somebody in my life that's gonna keep reminding me of what the future can look like and that this is not all there is. Sometimes the best gift that we can give others is let them borrow hope from us. It's one of the greatest blessings that we can offer each other. And then the fourth piece of this to me comes out of a, a passage in scripture many of us are familiar with in Philippians chapter one. Paul is writing from prison. We know that Paul isn't sure what's gonna happen and he's wrestling with, am I gonna die? Am I gonna live? And maybe there's something beneficial about me going to be with Christ, but there's also beneficial benefit for the Philippians and others if he stays alive. And so he's grappling with that and he makes a statement in the midst of that kind of emotional turmoil that I find compelling and has been incredibly life-giving to me. He says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed that somehow this is gonna pay off, that somehow God is in this, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Notice what he says. He doesn't say that he knows that whatever he's gonna face tomorrow, right now he has the courage and the strength to do it. He didn't say that. What does he say? He says that I know that whatever will come, I'll have the strength to endure that. Here's what happens with us when we start to envision a future. We start to catastrophize what's gonna happen and we think we don't have the ability to deal with that right now. And here's the truth of it, you don't. You don't have the ability to deal with it right now, but here's what I know. I know that we have a God that will provide, and Paul says that will provide the courage and the strength and the grace necessary when I get there. And one of the most powerful things we can do is acknowledge this. I don't have to have the strength right now. In fact, here's here's what I would say this way. The courage and strength I need to sustain me tomorrow is not available to you today, but it will be tomorrow. It will be tomorrow if I'm willing to just keep moving forward? Am I willing to recognize that? See, here's, here's what we want for you. And I think of us, as we think about the mental health epidemic that we're facing in our country and what we know is present on our campus, we at the well, I've got an incredible clinical team. We've got seven clinicians that are ready to help, that want to support you in this. But I need you to understand something. This is the foundational element. We want to step into that space because we know it takes more than scripture and prayer to get you through that stuff. But we also need to understand that at the base level, a God who is good, that is gracious, that is in it with us is crucial. To understand the benefit and the necessity of authentic relationships. To recognize that all that I can see is not all there is to see. To recognize that hope is the confident belief about the future because of what I believe about God's confidence, his compassion, and his character. And to realize that the courage and strength that I need to endure whatever may be coming to me, I don't have it right now. You do not have the strength right now to endure whatever this semester is going to bring. This is one of the reasons why we feel so overwhelmed by when we see syllabi and we see all of the responsibilities that are coming at us. We're like, I can't do all of this. And the answer is, the, the response is, yes, you're right, you can't. But as you get there and you keep moving, God will provide the strength the support that you need, and if you trust him and you see the hope and you invite others into that conversation, you will be able to continue to bounce. Watch this video with me one more time. This is what I want you to walk out of here with. I want you to walk out of here with a ball in your hand that says this, I'm gonna get crushed. I'm gonna be tormented. The emotions of this are real, but I know that in the midst of all of it, because of God's presence and his goodness and his love and his grace and the support around me, 
even while it may deform me for a time and may, may take a toll on me, there's an opportunity for us to keep bouncing and continue to follow a God who loves us, is gracious to us, and the calling that he's placed on our life is more consequential than anything we can possibly imagine. And the people that need you to continue to fulfill that calling is more significant than I could even begin to articulate. The question is, will you, in the midst of the struggles, stay in that tension and continue to grapple with those realities as we still trust and as we keep bouncing? Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your grace and your love. Thanks for the privilege of sharing this time together. God, life is hard. There's real challenges, there's real hurts, there's real trauma. God, there are things that we have endured that we were not designed to endure. And we are suffering and we are tormented and there are fears and challenges and struggles that we continue to grapple with. Father, we also believe that you are good. Father, that you know intimately those details that you're not wasting anything, and that we have the privilege of trusting you, giving hope to one another, and having confidence that what we can see is not all there is to see, that you're at work doing things beyond what we can capture. Thank you for your grace and your love. In the precious name of Jesus that I pray, amen.